If you've got your Bible, look at Revelation chapter number 22. And this morning we're going to preach about heaven. And I know that you think that the preacher probably has all of these great things to say about that. I have one thing to say, first of all, is I've never been. Okay, I've never been. So I can't describe everything about it. All that I can do is describe what the Bible teaches about it. Years ago, I had a young preacher guy that was, uh, he was told, don't ever preach about marriage because you don't understand it because you're a single preacher. And I said, man, you can always preach on marriage. I said, but what you must preach on is just what God says about it in the Bible. You can't share an experience of it. While I can't share an experience of being there in heaven, I can share what the Bible says about it. And the Bible has a lot to say about heaven. But the Bible says right here in chapter number 22, look with me at verse 1. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And look at these verses. They shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and there, uh, excuse me, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Fathers, we come to you again. Lord, asking you to please, Lord, help us, give us the discernment, the wisdom to understand the Scripture. God, we don't pray for the excitement. We don't pray for the passion and the, uh, the energy that we want to preach with, God, more than we pray for the understanding and the wisdom of what the Scriptures say. Please speak to our hearts like only you can. And God, as we've already prayed and as Brandon has prayed, Lord, let all glory and honor go to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for everything, thank you for what you've done. For our measureless debt that we owed in sin, thank you for forgiveness, God. Thank you, Lord, that the Scripture tells us where sin abounded, grace did much more abound over that. Father, we love you, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray it all together. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, as we preach about what heaven would be, or as if you wanted to call it this, in heaven... You know, there are songs that says, in heaven there will be no pining. You know, there will be no sorrow. The Bible's already told us in Revelation chapter number 21 that there will be no death, nor or pain, no sorrow, no sickness. The Bible tells us what would be in heaven. We learned last Sunday about Jehovah Shema, that God would be there. But I want you to look at a few things that are here. And sometimes when we talk about heaven, you really want these kind of, um, and I hate to say it like this, but these rainbow unicorn kind of stories. You know what I mean? I've been trying to convince the kids here at our church that there, there's no such thing as a rainbow. I've been trying my best, but the song director is still, his, his kids are going against that, and uh, um, they're still doing all that stuff. That, somebody tried to purchase me some rainbow socks after my surgery this week, that, uh, thinking that I would wear them, and I said, I'm not wearing rainbow socks at all, okay, or unicorn socks is what they wanted me to wear. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to wear the ones with the little puffy things on the bottom of the feet because I'm old now and I don't need to fall in the hospital. <clears throat> right? I started to wear them this morning because they have a smiley face on them. And the smiley face faces the person instead of the other people. <clears throat> and you know why? Because when you're looking down and you've had bad back and surgery, you want something to remind you you need to be happy, okay? <clears throat> and uh, so I have a multi- 
colors of those things now since I've had three back surgeries. When Patty's talked about we're going to get Miss Patricia and Miss Teresa to make a quilt out of them. <laughs> and I'll have that soon. But people have these thoughts of heaven and they, <clears throat> they want it to be this kind of spectacular thing. Because when you think about heaven, even when you address just the world itself, everyone seems to be going there but they don't have the right avenue. They don't understand the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and those things. And so when you talk about heaven, it tends to be a little bit more worldly and earthly uh, in the translations or the talk about it all because you, you kind of pump it up to make it look like this one thing that is like the best thing on earth. Like, like heaven is the best steaks and heaven is, is the best clothing and heaven is the best piece of candy you've ever had. All of that, And everyone describes it that way. Oh, it's just heavenly. And, and heaven for the people that like to go to the beach is going to be the shoreline of heaven, you know. And people that like to go to the mountains, oh, the wonderful mountains of heaven. And, and, and everybody tries to wrap our minds and our thoughts around heaven and, and we really can't because the Bible tells us right now as a believer in Jesus Christ at 1.30 this morning Philip Metcalf <coughs> went into the very presence of the Lord Paul summed it up in the scriptures by saying this <coughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord it means that when a Christian dies that their body would go to the grave awaiting that wonderful resurrection where it's changed into a glorified body but the soul or the spirit goes to be into the presence of the Lord they don't go <coughs> to the attic or to the basement to haunt you they don't do those things but they go to be with the Lord and the Bible says right here that heaven is going to be something that not only um, everything about Jesus and who He is and about the Spirit and about God the Father, but it also says that heaven is going to have these wonderful things that illustrate what He's done. <clears throat> have you ever gone into someone else's home? <coughs> Excuse me. Have you, ever, have you ever gone into someone else's home? Man, I, I'm Captain America. <laughs> Ever gone into someone else's home before? And you look at their house. Everything in their house really does what? It really tells a story about who they are. Okay? And I'm not talking about like going into their house and you look and you go, oh, immediately, these, these people are hoarders, you know. Uh, or they're dirty or, you know, they don't clean up. Um, that's if you come to our home. But, not, but when you go through there, everything that they have tells a story. Think about it. It tells a story about that family. When you come into our home, you would immediately, when you walk in to the right, we have certain wood walls and certain sheetrock walls and stuff. And when you look to the right, you'll see this big, huge family tree, and it's got pictures hanging off of it of the boys growing up and me and Patty growing up and doing these things. And uh, it was just our family and, and how the Abney family was established. If you were to go to the, to the guest bathroom, which I would very, very much deter you from ever going into the boys' bathroom, but whenever you go that way, there's pictures of grandparents and kids growing up family all on the wall and and it does what it kind of gives you a picture when you go to that person's house of who they actually are you see how they design things you see how their favorite quilts are laid out you know what I mean you see how the the blankets or the pillows or how the living room is arranged you know and and you'll know about people by looking at okay is there is their living room furniture arranged toward like one another where these people must be very conversational and they talk or is it typically like the American family and it's arranged toward the one-eyed TV thing to where everybody's looking at that and so you get to pick up up on people by going to their homes. And what's cool, especially if you eat with them, 
You really get to know them, especially at any abney function of eating. You get to know them by what? You start looking at their plates. You see the plates that are like the old-timey plates. You know, if you come to our house, you, we don't have the matching sets. We have some throughout the years. And you may get this plate. It may be this thick. It may be this thin. It may have apples on it. It may have that wonderful little blue pattern thing around it and stuff. But you get to know people. You understand what I'm saying? And the Bible says that heaven is going to be that way too. There's going to be things about heaven that are going to teach us even more and more. I'm trying to compose myself, but it's going to teach us more and more about who Jesus is and about who God the Father is and about who the Holy Spirit is. When we enter into heaven, it's not going to be all about us. We're going into His place that He's prepared for us. When we go there, our picture, I know that someone told you once before that the Lord loves you so much, your picture is on His refrigerator. I know that they've told you that in the little soup, you know, chicken soup for the soul books and stuff. But when we go there, everything about this place is going to exemplify and teach us more and more about God and His Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse number 1 there again. The Bible says, and John's been saying this a lot, and he showed me. He showed me a pure river of water. You remember since chapter 18, John would say, and I saw, or and I heard, and then he would write it. Or he would say, I heard it, and I saw it, and then he would write it. But over and over he was saying, and I saw, and I saw. Notice these words. These words are a little bit different in this illustration right here. Come here, Brandon. These words are a little bit different. If Brandon was just walking around, and he's in heaven, he's walking around looking, he would probably try to make it something like Mississippi, okay? And he's walking around and looking. That's different. He would go, oh, I saw this, and oh, I saw that. But this... This scripture does it differently. This scripture teaches it almost as if he has a guided tour and he's walking through and immediately, no, he didn't see Brother Bill, but it says, and he showed me a pure river. It's almost as if, give Brother Brandon a big round of applause for his day. It's almost as if he showed him and he was walking him through heaven. There's an old song that talks about that, that I bowed on my knees and cried holy. And, and when we enter the gates of that city, it says, my loved ones all knew me well and they took me through the streets of heaven. Amen. If you think about that, it's almost that we're getting this tour now that John is getting and he says, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, and it was proceeding out of the Lamb or out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. The Bible says right there that this is going to show us in heaven one of the first things that we're going to know and kind of recognize about what God did for us in heaven, I believe, is this, the gospel. I believe we're going to see vividly when we walk into heaven the wonderful thing that the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for us. Immediately when we go to heaven, listen, we ought to be reminded when we walk into heaven why we're able to walk into heaven, right? We ought to be reminded of how we got to heaven when we get there, right? And not just always, I'm going to see my loved ones, I'm going to see God, I'm going to see Jesus. John said when he walked in there, he says that he showed me a pure river. He says, water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. It came out from the throne of God, but it came through the Lamb of God. And there's this river. Notice the first thing. We've got to look at it. The Bible says that we need to compare this thing 
to the millennial time. Do you remember I told you in the millennial reign, there's going to be a river that comes out from underneath that tabernacle, that new temple, millennial temple of God. It's going to come out from underneath the altar, it says. It's going to go over here and go over the Golan Heights and go down into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is going to come to life on earth. Amen? Literally. But then, Sister Laura, it's going to go off the other direction down into the Mediterranean Sea. It even says that the fish of the Mediterranean Sea are going to be living and swimming and be caught, Dad, over in the Dead Sea during the millennial reign. But the Bible says that this one is not coming out of the altar of God, but it is coming out of the throne of God in heaven. That when John walks into heaven, the first thing... You remember last Sunday we talked about everything John saw from the outside. The walls, the gates, the, the foundations, and the height, and the measurements. Now he's being uh, uh, on a tour guide in, and the first thing he sees, he says, it's the water of life, clear as crystal. And it is, listen, this river is kind of like, it, we've got to look at, it's reminiscent. This river that we look at is, is taking us back. If you're taking notes this morning, this river is very reminiscent. It brings us back to something. And our Bible is beautifully sewn together. It's beautifully, Sister Marcel, from Old Testament to New Testament and from New Testament to Old Testament. In the first two chapters of the Bible, we talk about this wonderful place called paradise, this wonderful, perfect place of earth. But then we talk about that God created those things. But then in the last two chapters of the Bible, of the book of Revelation, we are talking about a wonderful, beautiful, heavenly paradise, not of this earth, but of that place Amen. And look at what he says in reminiscing. Go back to Genesis. And I think it's in chapter 2, verse number 10. It says, And the river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted into four heads. It became four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is that which compasses the whole land of Havilah. It says, Where there is gold. And the, and the gold of that land is good. There is Dedalum and the onyx stone. It says, And the name of the second river is Gihon. And that same is compasses the whole land of Ethiopia, or in the scripture, Cush. It says, and the name of the third river is Hedekel, or is what we would call today the Tigris River. And it says, and that which goes out toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. <clears throat> the Bible says that when, when the earthly Garden of Eden, the earthly paradise, perfect place that God created to put mankind in. It says when it was created, there was something that was there, and what was described there was that there was a river. And that that river broke out of the Garden of Eden into four sections. And it kind of gives us this image that it was almost kind of... Uh, uh, encompassing the whole area of the Garden of Eden. It almost gives us the image that it was just basically kind of like bordering things off in a way. But what we do see is this. In order for that garden to have the lush life of the fruit that it needed, the, the garden that would grow, all of that, it had to have something. And that something was called the water source or a river. And even major cities were always, major cities even in the Bible, nations would build by these great rivers. Babylon itself were built by some of these very rivers that are mentioned in Genesis. Even not only Babylon, but Nineveh. Nineveh was described as one of the greatest cities and the largest cities. Why? Because they would build by water sources because water brought what to the city? It brought life to the people. And God kind of, when He created everything that He did on this earth, that first thing that He created about what we would call now, we're in, we're in chapter 22, we would call it that, that old earth. He created everything to be, um, 
dependent upon the supply of water, even your bodies. There are some that you can go so long without eating certain food. But you can only go so long without water, and then death will come. Because our bodies are constantly needing the water because even our bodies are made up of a percentage, a great high percentage of water itself. So we're constantly needing the water. When we become dehydrated, ask any of these nurses that are in here and any of these people that work in the medical field, they'll tell you that when you become dehydrated that it can actually affect every single thing about your whole body. It affects your thought process. It affects your heart, your heart rate. Other things can happen. And when you don't have enough in your body... Then it can also even bring poisons and other toxins at certain levels. And so we were created to have that. But then the Bible says that at this new creation, this new heaven and new earth, it said the sea was no more. It told us last Sunday that the sea was no more. Why? When we walk into heaven, into this new heaven, the Bible is going to show us very clearly that the life source the life source that we actually need is going to come from not what is created by God, but it is going to come from the Creator God. It's going to come from His very throne. This river is kind of reminiscent as you look back, but it is also, in a certain sense, it is different because, listen, the rivers that bring life only sustain this earthly life, but He will be the sustainer of all life. That's the gospel. The gospel is what sustains our life today. Why would you be able to go into heaven? Because of the gospel of Jesus. Why will you live eternally? Because of the gospel of Jesus. It is not what Steve has done for himself. No. It is what Jesus has done for me. It's what Jesus has done for you. That brings you to the next thing. This river is rich. It's a rich river. Listen, there are people all the time, they ask us, you know, my, me and my dad and, and me, and my wife, me and my wife have been fishing together uh, while we were dating. Some of uh, our dates were fishing, we, you know, uh, 2 or $3 for you know, four dozen minners and uh, go fishing. You can go, you can go all afternoon, you can go all day. That was great, you know. Uh, some of our dates are the cheapest ones of all because we didn't have any money. People say, what'd you do? We played tennis a lot. You don't have to buy a racket once, you know, and the balls once unless you knock them out of the park, you know, all the time. But it's a cheap date, right? Now everybody, <laughs> you, couldn't, you could go to the movies for a lot cheaper than you can now. But anyway, but thinking about it, looking at this right here, this richness, people say, but see, where did y'all catch all of those fish? Now there's some people, and they are in this church, that they will not tell you. They'll carry it to their deathbed. They won't tell you where they caught fish. My dad, people have said, where did y'all catch them? Dad would say, uh -huh. You know, they say, where did y'all catch them? And I get the map out. I take pictures of the map, and I put it on there. I'll drop a pen from Google Maps and show them. And now I'm starting to learn. I'm just friendly like that. And my dad said, you're going to regret that. And now when I try to go fishing, people are there. So it has come back to bite me. But the reason I like to share it is because it's rich. People say, one, one time within three days, we had two boats, and we caught 180, I cleaned 187 crappie. And man, everybody liked to catch them, but I cleaned every single one of them. And people go, where did you catch them? And I'd go, I'd tell them right up there. And they go, why are you doing that? Because it's a rich place. 
We call it in the South, it's honey hole, right? And you tell those things like that. The Bible says that this river that comes from the throne of God is a rich source. The Bible says it is his riches. It is his grace. It is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. When it comes out, it is beautiful. And we're the ones that mess up the gospel. We're the ones that mess up the flow of the gospel and and get in there and try to do it on our own and we muddy up the waters when we must need to do. is The Bible says we just need to take of that gospel and drink of that gospel. We're the ones that kind of mess it all up. We teach people they got to do a certain ordinance or they got to join a certain church or they got to stand up on one foot and hold one ear and repeat after me kind of things. No, the gospel is pure and it is rich. It is so rich that the Bible says it is God's riches at Christ's expense. It is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is a beautiful thing. But listen, here's the other thing. This is my favorite. Notice where it's coming from. It said it was a river, pure, clear as crystal, which means rich. But notice where it's coming from. It's running from the throne of God. It's run. The Bible says that this thing flowing from the throne of God. Look at that verse with me again. It says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. If you see this, then you'll notice, Sister Kathy, that this thing is proceeding, which means flowing or running, out of the throne of God, which means it was always God's plan. The gospel, life, was always God's intended plan. But notice where it goes, and of the Lamb. It seems to give this image, and I'm not going to move the pulpit, but it seems to give this image that as that river of God's salvational plan is coming out of the throne of God, that Jesus is somehow at the headwaters of it all, and that all of that comes through Jesus Christ. And it shows us this picture, Sister Laura, that everything about heaven when we walk in and when we see all this first of all and we get our first guided tour that we're going to see immediately that God's plan for us to have life was through His ordained plan, predestinated plan but that it would be through Jesus Christ and Him alone that people would be saved. The Bible says that this river is running out so much that Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 says Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters and he that hath no Money, come ye, buy and eat, and yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. First of all, let me ask you something. How can you buy something if you don't have money to buy it? If you don't have money, you're just going to walk away empty. But this scripture says, come and buy even when you don't have money. First of all, he says, come to the waters and drink. And he says, and if you don't have money, he says, come on and buy and eat. And you go, all right, how do you do that? Somebody else has got to pay for it. Somebody else has got to pay for it. How many of you guys have got those buddies? You know, you know what I'm talking about, the hey buddy system? They go, hey, you want to go get lunch? And you'll go, yeah, I'll go get lunch with you. That's good, you know? And you go over there, and they order up, and then you order up, and, and everybody's just kind of staring for a moment, and you go, well, I guess I'll buy them. Huh? Any of you got buddies like that? Right? And you do, listen, somebody's got to pay for it. The Lord paid for it all. Jesus did. Look at these next words. He says, come, buy and eat. He said, yes, come. He says this, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Look at those two things that he says to come and to get. He didn't tell them to come and buy wine so that they could become drunk. And he didn't tell them to come and buy milk so that they could go ahead and be fat. 
But what he was teaching them was is that milk is needed in a life, even from the babies and the precious babies in the beginning because of the protein and the nourishment, something that water couldn't give. He said, even if you need milk, something to sustain you, come and buy it. I've already got it. I've paid for it. Come and get it. But then he says you can buy wine also because the Jewish people, as they had their wine, they would pour one-fourth into their cup and put three-fourths of water. And when they would drink that, it was for the medicinal purposes of them if they had sickness, if they had parasites. Even Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for the stomach's sake. Why? He wasn't telling him to drink it to get buzzed or to get high or to get funny feeling and forget about things. He was telling him to drink it because why? You need that as a sustainer of life. The alcohol that was naturally fermented with that water mixture wouldn't mess up their mind, but it would take away their parasites. The Lord says, if you're sick, come to me. If you're malnourished, come to me. And what do we do? Lord, we don't have enough money to buy all those things. We don't have enough to get all that. He says, it's already been paid for him, man. Come and get it. That's why at the beginning he says, Ho, right? In the King James Version, Ho, you know what that means? Pay attention. Hey, anybody that wants it, you can come and get it. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 4 to a woman that sat on the well. He said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And that's what she wanted, right? That's what all of us would want. Some water that we'd never have to go draw out of a well again. But he says, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The gospel of Jesus Christ that you took of, that you said, man, I am a dry and thirsty soul and I need Jesus Christ. Steve, the Jesus you're preaching about, I want him. I want some of that. And you drink of that wonderful water of the gospel, the water of life. Listen, you're not to just sit there on it you're not to just drink it and just sit back and go you know what boy that was good that was tasty it's supposed to now be a water of well like an artesian well like a well that's bubbling up inside of you so that you can go share it with someone else and if that isn't enough the bible says there was this feast that took place it takes place every year it is a hebrew feast a hebrew and israelite celebration it is called the feast of booths not booze booths it's the feast of tabernacles and they get together and they'll go and they go out into the field and they make tabernacles out of earthly things and and the palm leaves and all this stuff and they have to go out there and stay in them but they celebrate and every single day the first day is a solemn day and the last day is a solemn day but every single day do you know what they do they go and offer a sacrifice at the temple or the tabernacle every day so blood is shed Sacrifice is made, smoke and offering is going up. But on the last day, the first day and the last day of the feast, that priest, the high priest, goes down to the Gihon Spring and they go down to the water with this wonderful vessel and they pull it through that water and they bring it up and they all rejoice and all of the men of Israel dance behind it and they shout and they celebrate behind it as if they are walking behind Gus Malzahn or Nick Saban. They're all just shouting and they're doing the great tiger walk, right? And they're going to the temple and as they're going, they're all having a big celebration. The women are over there going, and they're going crazy and they're clapping for the men. And when they get to the temple or the tabernacle, they come to the altar where all of that blood has been shed. 
All of that blood has just poured off of that altar, soaked down there on those coals, and they began on top of that altar, and also in the days of Jesus on that temple mount, they began to take that water out of that spring that is supposed to represent the pure water of life, and they began to pour it on that altar. And listen, it's moving the blood and washing the blood, and all of a sudden you would think that would be the time of celebration. When the water comes out of that vessel and begins to be poured on there, Brother Butch, it is supposed to be what's called a solemn assembly. Do you know what a solemn assembly is? Let me show you. That right there. Quietness, solemn, respectful, arms folded, hands folded. They were all supposed to be quiet. It was a solemn assembly when the water was being poured. And the Bible says this in John chapter 7 and verse 37. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. It didn't mean that he stood and said, oh me. No, the Bible says the word for preacher is public crier. One that cries out. One that speaks out loudly. It says in that last day, that great day of the feast, the last day of the feast of tabernacles, it says Jesus stood stood and cried in the solemn assembly. I love it. When Jesus came to a funeral, he broke it up and raised the person. Amen? He always turned a funeral into a party. Right? He always turned a graveside into a wonderful, joyous... Listen, he came to a solemn assembly. And, and, and y'all get mad at me because we, even, when, even when we're in a funeral and the preacher says something good, I still go, Amen! You know, this is a funeral. You're not supposed to do that. I can't help that. Because what he's amen and is telling me that I have life beyond what's sitting up there, amen? amen. Listen, he said, he cried out, If any man first, let him come unto me and drink. He says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In the middle of the solemn assembly, Jesus said, Y'all are talking about water of life and thirst. If you'll come unto me, I'll give you that water. What was Jesus doing, David? He was taking what Isaiah 55 prophesied about and was fulfilling it right there in their ears and in their faces and was telling them, I will do all these things. When we walk into heaven, the first thing that we're going to notice, church, listen to me, is the gospel is going to be represented by this river that's coming out of the throne of God. We are never, never going to forget what He did for us. What He did for us at Calvary. What He supplied for us at the cross. What all that He did. Think about it for a moment. That when they opened the side of Jesus Christ, not only did blood come forth, but the Bible says that blood and water flowed. Because He is the ultimate sacrifice on the altar, but He is also that wonderful water and life giver. Amen? Water of life and life giver. The Bible says the gospel is going to be represented. John said the next thing that he saw was grace. Now, I've, how can you see grace? Unless your daughter is named Grace. How can you visually see grace? John says in this verse, in chapter 22, look at verse 2 and 3. He says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. How can you see grace? The first thing that John noticed about this tree that he saw, this tree of life as it's called, the first thing that he noticed was that it was reverenced. That this tree was revered somehow, that it was reverenced. And you say, well, what do you mean, Brother Steve? You know, as looking, when we looked back in the Garden of Eden earlier, 
we saw that the tree of life was there in the middle of the garden and that, that river that came out and broke into four different heads, it seemed like it was kind of encompassed in between that. And what we get from the understanding of verses 2 and 3 is that as that river comes out of the throne of God, that it actually has some way that it is parting out and it seems to encompass. It comes from God's throne, but it seems to encompass heaven. It seems to kind of be the borders or the boundaries of heaven because it says that the tree of life is in the middle of all of those things. And you say, well, Brother Steve, what do you mean by being reverenced? If you look back in the Scriptures in Revelation in chapter 4, we learned about when we went into the throne room of God, that God the Father was sitting on the throne there. But in chapter 5, we understand that as they saw God the Father on the throne with a scroll in His hand, it says, I saw the Lamb of God in the midst of the throne room. That every time we see Jesus in the book of Revelation, he is in the midst of the throne as a lamb standing that had been slain. Or, Brother Jimmy, that he is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which is a representation of the seven churches that are there in Revelation. Or that he is in the midst of the seven spirits of God. Or that he is in the midst of... Uh, he's in the middle of everything about it. And in heaven, if there is one honorary person that is going to be honored and revered throughout all... All of eternity, it is one person and it is not you. If everything in this household of heaven is going to try to share a story with us, Brother Butch, of what heaven is all about, it's going to be centered upon and around Jesus Christ being the one that's reverenced. Amen? If you go into our home, you would understand. You would see senior portraits of our boys. You would see small images of our boys when they were kids. You would see them by musical instruments. You would do all that. And what you would gather as you walk through our home is that our boys have played sports through the years. Our boys have learned music through the years. That our boys have been very young and are very old. That our boys like this kind of taste in clothing. Why? Because everything about the home kind of portrays the picture of who is there and who is reverenced there and who that place belongs to. The Bible says that John saw this tree of life and it was in the midst of everything. And it was this source of life. It was this source of not just life like here on earth, but it was the source of eternal life. And you look back at that. Let's, let's kind of go back with me this morning and listen to this. Uh, Adam, the Bible talks about this even before we look into heaven. It says there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve were removed from the tree of life. It says that they were taken away from the presence of the tree of life. This is what it says in Genesis 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Look at these words. Pay attention. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove him out. So, so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And you come to those scriptures in your life, don't you? Where you read those things and you go, All right, Lord, I'm going to have to stop for a moment and take a time out. I need to understand what you're trying to say. And if you would, I want you to look back with me at verse number 22. The Bible says, Behold, man has become like God. He says, Knowing good and evil. And God says this, Now, look at it, Lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life. He said he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and now he's sinful. He's corrupt. Because why? Because of the fruit? No, because he disobeyed God. 
And so now that he has disobeyed God, he is in sin. And he is in condemnation of sin. And to put it blank, he's in trouble. Okay? And so now the Bible says, God says, now lest he goes over to the tree of life and eats of it and he lives forever, what did God do? Look at verse 23. It says, the Lord kicked him out of the Garden of Eden and he put also, as verse 24 says, a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword, lest they would go back and do what? Eat of the tree of life. Will y'all stop with me for a minute? We wake up, punch your neighbor and say, hey, wake up, this is good. <clears throat> Listen, if you stop thinking about it for a moment, I want to go, God, why did you not just let them eat? I mean, if they're, you know, they weren't supposed to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I know that, Lord. I get that. And they did wrong. But why, why didn't you, it seems like you should just let them eat. Because if death was their problem, you know, because when they ate, he said, don't eat of it lest you what? Die. So if death was their problem, then it seems to me, you know, I'm not very smart, but it seems to me if death was my problem, then tree of life would have been my answer. Okay, God, why did, did you just need to have a, a time period? You know what I mean? Some people in, in commentaries and scholars have said, God removed them from that so that we would have this earth now and do all these things as though God went, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to lay back and do nothing for a while and just kind of let this thing run its course. But I don't believe that God would ever do that. I believe that if God is very intentional about His creation and God is intentional about a predestinated plan that all the people would be saved, that God's not taking time out and setting back any other time like the gods of Baal, but He's always listening because His plan is always in action. And so I look at it and I go, Lord, if their problem was death, then why didn't you give them the tree of life? And God spoke to my heart and said, because their problem wasn't death. Their problem was sin. Their problem was not death. Their problem was sin. Their problem wasn't the repercussions of sin being death. Their problem was they disobeyed God, and that's what the problem is. See, we don't have a problem of death. We have a problem of sin. Every one of us have a problem of sin. And we try to answer it by other things. And God said, don't let them eat of the tree of life. And you stop and think about it. Why? God, why, why won't you let them eat of the tree of life? Because had Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life in their condemned state, then the Bible actually portrays this picture that they would have lived in an eternal body, eternal state, in condemnation. And God didn't want us to live in condemnation forever. Listen, even Adam and Eve, after they got out of the Garden of Eden, they lasted a whole lot longer than you and I. They had better batteries than we did. They must have had something going for them because they lived in 900 years. Why? Because I believe in that time they had partaken of God's precious, holy, and good fruit and their bodies were perfect. But because of sin and pork, we're dying faster and faster and faster. And you stop and think about it. Would you like to live forever? What if I told you, okay, you can live forever in your condemned state? Think about Eve living in a condemned state for all eternity and always dealing. Because in a condemned state, in sinfulness, her son killed her other son. And if they took of the life or the tree of life, then she and Adam would live in a condemned state always knowing and thinking about my son was taking. Let, let, me, let me say this to you. And I'm going to put it in a way that none of us understand. There are a few people in this church right now that understand this. And I'm not trying to be emotional and pick with you at all. 
But there are a few people that understand this. Some people in this church have lost children. And they are glad that they don't have to wait forever and live eternity until they get to see them again. They are glad that there will be a day where I can take off this old stuff and put on something fresh and something new. They couldn't take of the tree of life because the problem was not death. Our problem is sin. So Adam was removed from the tree. But then in this scripture, the Bible says Jesus restores us back unto the tree of life. The Bible gives a beautiful picture that when you go into heaven, we will have life and sustaining life because in the midst of it all, Jesus brought us back to the tree of life. He restores us. The Bible says this in verse number 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. The Bible says no more curse. You remember what it said in Genesis? Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. It says unto Adam, He said, Because you've hearkened unto the voice of your wife. Now you men, you men should not use that uh, scripture to your advantage. That, that the, saying that the Lord told me not to listen to you. You need to listen to your wife and wisely listen to your husband. It says, because you've hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Look what he says, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat the bread, or eat bread, till thou return to the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Notice what he said. He said, thorns and thistles are going to come now. Why? Because thorns and thistles don't bring fruit. There's no great fruit, life-sustaining things that would come from that. The Bible says in Galatians chapter number 3 and verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse himself for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. How did Jesus restore life unto us? By being crucified. And throughout all eternity in heaven, That is going to be portrayed in the picture of the tree of life being there. The gospel would be there. And God's grace will be there. His grace is what brought you back. The last thing is this. God himself. As we talked about last Sunday, Jehovah Shammah. God himself will be there. God's glorious gospel. God's wonderful grace. But God himself. Look at chapter 22. Look at verse 4 and 5. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The Bible says, first of all, that we would see his face and that his name would be in our foreheads. You know what that means? Is the glory of God's going to be seen in his appearance. His appearance, his, his appearance will be there. His face can you imagine what it would be like to look into the face of Jesus? To someday finally look into the face and see the full glory. The other thing is this, and then I'm going to come back to it, but not only that, but the glory of God's going to be felt in His presence that's all around us. His presence. You remember I told you 
long time ago in the scripture about the light. Light is not that. That is artificial light. Light is not that. That is artificial. These are artificial. Listen, light itself, listen, is because something has heated up and made those things to move in such a way that it causes this light. But light is in itself in existence. You say, what do you mean? And I tried to show you in that magnetic wave, you know, that magnetic spectrum, you know, and how it does like this and all that, that basically you have one plane that goes this way and you have another plane that's going this way. All right. I don't know how to do that. I, I learned it from Joy Peters that told me how to rub my belly and my head at the same time. But you do like this right here. And what happens is, is as long as that point, sometimes we can't see certain light, like as an x-ray or other things, because why? We, in our sight, we see at a certain speed. But if they take certain machinery and they slow it down or speed it up, then that can show different things. That's why in an x-ray you can see in the bones. But when I look at you now, I can't see the bones unless they come on the outside, and we don't want that to happen. So you look at it in that way, and so it means that light is there. And what it means is that God's presence, when he said, let there be light in the beginning, do you remember that? But he didn't go until the fourth day and said, let the sun be a greater light to rule the day and the moon to be a lesser light to rule the night. If God said, let there be light in the beginning, then the sun should have been created on that day because we all think that light is the sun itself. But no, light, because of the sun and its heat, makes it to where we can visibly see and see better. What it means is this right here. Listen to me. Don't, don't hang up on me yet. But it means this. God's presence is right here. It's here. It's here. God's presence is everywhere. But we can't see it in our sight, but we can see the results of God's presence. We can see the results of God's grace. You say, what do you mean? I've seen men sitting in the back back there where you're sitting, Josh, and I've seen them sit in those same pews and stuff, and the man in the chair and stuff. They, they'd be sitting there. They were mad at me. I was preaching, come to Jesus, and they had their arms folded, and they were gritting their teeth. They were mad at me. I, I really thought that at the end of the service, we was going to have to do, you know, scuffle a little bit outside. And the invitation was given, and I watched those angry hands fall down by their side, and he stood up, and I thought, well, here it comes. I better get ready. And he came down to the altar, and tears were coming off of his eyes, and he accepted Jesus that day, totally changed. I saw God's grace then. I don't always see it. I saw God's power when these two were born. When Andrew was first born, he took forever and a day to get here. Patty carried him 42 weeks. I told a lady at the hospital yesterday or the day before yesterday, she carried him 42 months. And I said, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry about that. It's weeks. <laughs> Thank the Lord, right? <clears throat> When he comes out, all these people had primed us and they've told us, oh, there's the most beautiful thing in the world. When I first saw and laid eyes on my baby, they're the most beautiful thing in the world. When Andrew came out, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Ugly. Gray, dead looking. Stuff all over them. But when they breathed in, I saw the wonderful power of it. I'm telling you, I saw the wonderful power of life. Take a grayish looking little body that was feeding from the oxygen from inside of the womb or the Craig. That when he cried, <gasps> did that and started crying out, his body literally before my eyes changed colors. And he had that wonderful tone in that body. Well, I saw Jacob, <laughs> he was behind up. So I <clears throat> to each his own, right? 
I've seen God move, but I can't always say that I've been strong enough to always go, I see your presence, see your presence. But when I've needed him the most, when I've needed him at some of the most horrific times, his presence is there. And in heaven, his presence is going to be. Paul said when he came into the presence of God on the road to Damascus, do you know what he said? He said his presence was brighter than the noonday sun. He said that any western movie you've ever seen, and they met at high noon that the sun was shining brighter than that. He said it was so bright that you couldn't even see it. The Bible says in heaven, God's presence is going to fill all of that. And isn't it good to know that even though you may as a Christian have struggled through some things and not felt his presence before, and maybe felt the coldness of a storm, that in heaven... His presence is going to be there and it's no need for the sun, no need for the light, no need for a lamp to warm ourselves. The presence of God is going to be all there. But here's, a, here's a, Go back to that other thing real quick and it's this. It's about not only the presence of God but the appearance of God. It says in that verse, I think it's verse number four, it says, and we shall see His face. We shall see His face. I don't know about y'all, but ever since the day that I've been saved, I've always thought about when I finally get to see him. When I was 18 years old, I was not a very good person. The things I did, did then, I don't talk about, I don't like to talk about because I'm very ashamed of the things that I did. Even while I was going to church, my whole, since I was seven, I, when we went to church. My daddy was a preacher. My mama was a Sunday school teacher. Both of them prayed. But when I was 18 years old, and God met me at my sinful place that I was at, Smith Lake, doing sinful things, taking into my body, into my life. And God still loved me enough to convict me of my sin. And Brother Craig, to meet me at a time where, why, why would you talk to me when I'm like that? If you under, adults understand what I'm saying. Why would you even take... I mean, I, I was a, just a drunk teenager. Why would you do that? Ever since that day, that night, that evening, I've thought about... I've been saved 27, 20 whatever years. I've been preaching 26 of those years. I've been a pastor for 20 years this year. But I've often thought about, all right, when my heart stops or my brain stops or what stops, whatever. And when I get to see him, what am I really going to, what am I going to say to him? What will I, how will I go about it? Will I just fall down and just like just blubber like a big old baby and go, man, I'm so glad to see you. Well, I, the other day when I woke up from my surgery, you know, and you're kind of in mid area, you know. And I'm singing. I'm just singing songs. And I look over and there's a nurse and he's just smiling at me. And I just went, what's up? <laughs> what will I do? You know, I've thought about it a whole lot. I think about it a lot. Because the Bible tells me that someday I'll see his face. Will I be afraid to see his face? Because of all the things that I've not done or that I've done wrong in his name since I've been saved. Will I be ashamed and go, I'm sorry I let you down? 
when he has his arms open for me and I go there, what will I say to the Lord? Think about it. Man, that's a, that shouldn't be a scary thought, but it should be a, a very joyous thought. But it should be one that you think about now. Because the Lord could come now. And if he does come now, what will you say to him? Some of you would have to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I was asleep. Right? Some of us would say, God, I really wasn't thinking about you. I'm starving to death. I was thinking about Cracker Barrel. Right? What will you say to the Lord? Because it says right here, you'll see. Think about it for a moment. Years ago, and I'm going to close, but years ago when I got saved, I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. I knew verses of Scripture, and I knew things about, you know, because I memorized them because I had to go to Sunday school, and, and I memorized them because I would, you know, it was a competition. And so competition I liked, and I would do that, and I'd try to get as many of them memorized and stuff. <clears throat> I didn't know a whole lot about the Lord. My dad <clears throat> used to come, wake up on Sunday morning and put records on. Some of you kids don't know what that is. Well, you do know what it is now. They're coming back. <clears throat> and they'd put records on, and he'd be crying and praising the Lord and stuff. But I didn't have, I, as, a, as a young Christian, I didn't, uh, Lord, I didn't have it on my own. I didn't, I didn't know it all. I didn't, and I was trying to figure it out, man. I, I had <clears throat> my friends that went to this church that said I had to do this, and I had other friends that went to this church that said, you need to talk like this, and you need to speak in this stuff. And, and then I had this other church that was like, man, we need to dunk you now. We need to get you baptized right now, you know. And so I had all this stuff going on. As a young Christian, I had all this stuff going on. And the only thing that I really knew, the only thing that I was convinced of in all of everything was that I'm saved and I'm going to go to heaven. That was all I really knew. <clears throat> and I had a friend that brought me a cassette tape. Now, now you don't know what that is. They haven't made their way back, and I pray to God they never do. <clears throat> but I had a cassette tape, and it was a group called the Allies. And I didn't know, you know, uh, my dad was raised up in his, when he got saved, he, he heard Southern Gospel music. So I had all the hints and stuff being poured in me over here. And then uh, some of the kids at, at school and stuff, they were like, you need to listen to this. And, and so I was kind of like caught in between, you know, and trying to figure out what. And I had the person hand me a tape. It was called The Allies. And some of y'all probably never heard of them before. But, but you've heard one guy, one guy sing with him. His name's Bob Carlisle. And some of y'all, you ladies know, he wrote that song, Butterfly Kisses, that make all the ladies cry and stuff, you know. But there was a song on there, and I'll never forget when I heard that song, it really made an impact on me about what heaven was. And it said, at the second verse, it said, uh, And as I read the morning paper, it hits me once again. We're surrounded by an evil of a world that's dead in sin. And the only sane conclusion that my crazy mind can reach is to set my heart on heaven and to live the things I preach. So I'm living every moment as if each day was my last. I put my treasure where my heart is and forget about the past. And if Jesus comes tomorrow, I'll be ready to depart. And as he leads me to my mansion, I'll be following my heart. I want to see heaven. Where the faithful carry on in heaven, O oh Lord, 
I want to see heaven where the pain of sin is gone in heaven, oh Lord. And I thought about that this week. And I thought about how hard we as Christians have made this walk called Christianity. There was a day where it was simple to me that I knew I was going somewhere that I didn't deserve to get to go to because someone did something for me that I didn't deserve him doing it for. And all of that was going to erase all of the sinful things that I was walking in at that time. And it hit me years ago. It was that simple. I am not headed that way anymore. I'm headed that way because of heaven. And that's what happens to you and I. You've allowed doctrines, dissertations, theologies, denominations, how much to give, how little to give, if you need chairs or if you need pews, should we wear a mask or not wear a mask? You've allowed all this stuff to distract you from somewhere you're going one day. And you know what it is? One day your eyes will connect with Jesus. Your eyes are going to connect together with him. I don't know what he looks like. But someday, when all of this stuff grows strangely dim, Brother Brandon, imagine what you'll say to Jesus when you see him face to face. Amen. Get it together. Today, get it together right there where you're at. If you want to come, there were many this morning that come. But someday, your eyes will connect with the eyes of the Lord. Or what will you tell him? I think, I think I'll just say, thank you. And I love you. I don't know why you would ever love me like you do. Why you would always be there every time I needed you. Even when those times that I thought I didn't need you and kind of pushed you out of the way, you were still there with me. Thank you. I love you. What will you tell him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.